This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanisin, joined in the studio by... It's me, Richard Bradbury. Indeed it is. It is now 12.05pm, turning to 12.06pm, Thursday, September 14th, approaching the end of another week yes. as we hurdle closer and closer to the end of the year. Oh my word. Ah, see, see, see what yeah, I did there? You see what you did, you, you, <laughs> building me up and then throwing me down. It's what I do, Rich, it's what I do. Um, so today... Today, we're talking about something a little interesting, right? Mm. We're talking about the CPTPP. Oh, uh, you did it first time? Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I messed up some simpler words yesterday, but today, CPTPP. Oh, no problem. That's the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. I wonder who was paid to come up with this name. It's a free trade agreement between 11 countries, including Australia, Brunei. We've got Canada in there as well. Malaysia as of last year or the end of last year. You've got New Zealand, Singapore and Vietnam as well. And um, also very soon, uh, the UK as well, they've signed and they're all just pending ratification. But we could be seeing this club expand further because several other countries have been uh, expressed interest. Yeah. In, you know, Colombia, Taiwan, uh, Thailand and China as well. And that could make this trade agreement even more beefy in the longer term. Mm. Uh, so the CPTPP includes trade facilitating rules of origin, the RO, that are intended to support modern business practices and further encourage greater integration of Malaysian companies into regional supply chains. Uh, so today we'll be discussing how the CPTPP can benefit or present an opportunity for local businesses, small and big, to grow and to expand. If you have any thoughts on this, you can WhatsApp us on our Ubamal number. That's 018 or you can write to us like we say like writing to us on post on X at BFM Radio (laughs) tweet was such a much better word. It anyway, worked, right? Anyway, helping us with this conversation today is Dr. Joeta Mahmud, the Director of Research and Director of the Economics and Business Unit at Ideas Malaysia. Dr. Joeta, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Um, maybe we can start out by breaking down the CPTPP a little bit. Could you outline some of the key provisions that 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 are being brought up to reduce trade barriers? So. It is an understatement when I say CPTPP is a comprehensive agreement with about 30 chapters. And what is different um, with CPTPP is that it does not just include traditional trade chapters like market access, Mm. um, reduction of tariff rates, um, as well as investment chapters. It goes beyond that. Um, It includes... Uh, chapters of discipline for digital trade, for investments, for um, investment in services as well, on labor issues, as well as on environment issue. Mm. So this is an all-encompassing trade pact or trade agreement that aspires to promote trade and investment activities in a sustainable manner. Um, And this is one of its kind. And we look forward to having more of these very high-leveled free trade agreements in the years to come because this is what um, the minimum um, FTA would look like. Mm. So we speak a lot, obviously, to SMEs and uh, MSMEs. 
And how might these provisions that we're talking about positively impact uh, expansion plans of small to medium-sized uh, companies here in Malaysia? So in a nutshell, what CPTPP does is to expand a member country's market access. Right. Mm. So if you look at Malaysia, Malaysia is a relatively small but open economy. Um, and when we think about attracting FDIs and attracting um, investments from abroad, uh, Malaysia in itself is so small that it, it wouldn't be too attractive um, for um, MNCs, for example. Mm. But with the CPTPP and, again, its provisions to um, expand market access, Malaysia has suddenly become, um, the market access for Malaysia has suddenly become very big. And it includes, um, you know, countries uh, beyond this region. And we haven't had, um, for example, a, a bilateral trade agreement with the UK. And now we do because mm. of the CPTPP. So our market access expands now to um, a European country, mm. for example. But um, so what it does is to, you know, um, give market access to players. But whether the players are competitive enough to do so, that is another side of the coin. So this is where you see member countries are still able to have their policy space to boost and support the growth of their local industries as well. And for Malaysia, this would be SMEs. And under the TPP, um, incentives and different types of supports are still okay to be introduced um, within the guidelines um, of the CPTPP. Because that's the balancing act, right? Because as you want to create a bigger market access, and yes, it's great for Malaysian companies to go overseas, but that now does mean that you are part of that market as well, mm. and it becomes a bit more of a competitive space. Usually, I think uh, what we've seen is uh, you've had to reduce your policies that support your own uh, country, uh, giving your country's companies an unfair uh, advantage. But here, we're not seeing that as much. Um, the countries um, would have negotiated those carve-outs mm. and most possibly those carve-outs are temporary. For example, for Malaysia on government procurement, in the chapter of government uh, procurement, we have um, negotiated for a carve-out with a threshold of special drawing rights of a very high level. But again, these thresholds would be phased out in the next five to ten years. So again, bigger firms would still need to compete. But um, for now, what I do see is that um, if it's not... Um, too aggressive, um, support for the local industries are still uh, welcome within the CPTPP. Should we expect this to provide better opportunities or, in, or, or encourage collaboration between smaller businesses and larger corporations within the country in order to go and enable this market access? That is a wonderful question. And that question should come even without the CPTPP in the picture. Mm. So for FDIs, for example, when an FDI is concentrated in a certain industrial park, for example, economic theory would show or um, evidence would show that there will be a trickle-down effect from the MNCs, from the FDI to local players. Mm. 
But unfortunately for Malaysia, we have not seen those trickle down effect. And these would these challenges would include challenges on talent, on um, the ability and capacity of local firms to um, learn uh, from the FDI partner. Um, and also to say that for most of the sectors that were observed, um, technology transfer or knowledge transfer did not take place as effectively as we would hope so. Mm. Um, so this is where, again, you know, CPTPP would encourage mm. collaboration in terms of investments because when you have investments, you have foreign direct investors within the country and by right, there should be collaboration. But this is where, again, um, the member country, each a member country can have its own policies on how um, um, different um, partners can collaborate. And this can be in line with the um, investment policies that we have here in Malaysia. Just before we go to a break then, uh, can we talk a little bit about e-commerce perhaps, you know, and, and discuss the potential impact of the uh, CPTPP's e-commerce provisions on, on local businesses? So on e-commerce, um, this is also a very interesting um, sector to look into because CPTPP was negotiated maybe seven, eight years mm, ago right. when the boom of the e-commerce sector was not as evident as, as it is today. Things were very different. Things were very different. Mm. So when I looked at the text, the commitments were very vague. <laughs> but now the issue when we talk about data transfer is on data localization. Mm, Where will mm. the data be housed? Can it be housed in that specific country or does it have, can it cross borders? So looking at data localization concerns, um, there is a mandatory data localization requirement uh, from the T uh, CPTPP. So the CPTPP prohibits um, requiring data localization as a precondition for doing business in a member country. It means that data should be able to flow between different partner countries. Um, but here, this is where, again, um, the conundrum lies. Uh, for now, Malaysia does not have a stand on data localization. We do not have a data localization policy, but we just don't have a position on data localization policy just yet. Um, so we do have to make up our minds because we have about <laughs> three years to implement um, most of um, the discipline chapters um, with without the carve-outs. Uh, for example, uh, for China, um, this would very much um, run against what they have um, developed uh policy-wise, because uh, China requires um, data localization to take place mm. in its domestic uh, multi-level protection scheme yeah. or also important data uh, systems. So again, we do see, for example, an interesting uh, partner, Vietnam. Um, Vietnam was one of the first ones to ratify and to enter into force uh, the CPTPP. But then I think last year, they implemented um, a data localization policy. And this is really against what the CPTPP is um, trying to advocate for. But um, here, I would just like to highlight that all member countries would have about three years to implement those commitments. So you do have that 
window mm. uh, or grace period for implementation. Yeah, this sounds like it's going to be one a key issue to look at because we're also seeing the big hyperscalers like Microsoft and AWS, they're building data centers in country to cater to the fact that sensitive information, such as financial information, uh, financial services providers are looking like they need to keep uh, data in country. So that, that this is going to be something I think we need to watch over the longer term to see how it plays out and whether we start butting heads with the CPTPP, the comprehensive and progressive parts of this agreement. <laughs> uh, folks, today on the show, we've been talking about the CPTPP uh, and how it can benefit or present opportunities for local businesses, whether you're small or big, in order to grow and expand. Helping us with this conversation has been Dr. Juwita Mohamad. She's the Director of Research and the Director of the Economics and Business Unit at Ideas Malaysia. You're listening to Enterprise Business Bites. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here at BFM. 89.9 Bright formidable media BFM 89.9 The Business Station Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanasen with Richard Bradbury and that was Doris Troy with Can't Hold On. Today we're talking about the ever hip and happening topic that is the CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. And uh, Rich, yes? No, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying nothing. You managed to get through it again. Well done. Well no done. comment on my hip and happening? No, it's very hip and happening. I don't know about that. But we have uh, Dr. Juita who will be telling Correct. us whether it's hip and happening or not. Exactly. So today we, we, the focus here is whether and how this will benefit mm. local businesses, whether you're small, whether you're big, in order to grow and expand. Uh, Dr. Juita Mohamad, Director of Research and Director of the Economics and Business Unit at Ideas Malaysia, has been here with us, keeping us, uh, giving us a assessment of the hip and happiness of the uh, of the trade agreement. Um, that, earlier we were talking about, you know, I was, we were mentioning a bit about the data policies, right? You've got to keep data in country and how the e-commerce policies were maybe made quite a few years ago. Um, does the CPTPP have provisions for keeping it up to date? Yes. Um, so within the agreement itself, it states that for every three years, three to five years, the CPTPP agreement will be reviewed. And um, as of last year, um, Singapore, as chairman of CT CPTPP, um, had he um, held a, a CPTPP think tank uh, review network where different member countries were to present the impact of CPTPP on different areas, on trade, on investments, on SMEs, on um, SMEs and women, for example, on IP registration. So it was a wonderful exercise to see that um, on balance, um, there was a positive trend of all of these indicators mm. for different countries. But again, here I would like to highlight that Data was um, very limited. The observations started um, in 2019 um, when some most of the countries have ratified. Uh, but again, we as Malaysia just entered into force. We don't have that much evidence just yet um, because we've just entered into force um, a couple of. Yeah. So very recently. We're working yeah. on it. Mm. We're working on it. Yeah. So whether in terms of like boosting uh, certain positions or, or of industries or encouraging better working rights in our country, could you give us a sense of, uh, for what the CPTPP encourages or, or pushes for? 
I'm so happy to see that the CPTPP included the labor chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so now all of the member countries are committed to follow the ILO conventions of 1998, if I'm not mistaken. And under um, that convention, um, you see that there are several provisions on trade unions, on freedom of association, on um, improving uh, workers' uh, living standards as well and working standards as well. So this is something that is very new to Malaysia. Yeah. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. We all know (laughs) that... Our trade unions in Malaysia are somewhat weak. Yeah. If we compare to Indonesia, if we compare to our, um, you know, partners like Vietnam, even um, their trade unions are quite powerful. Mm. Um, so I see this as something that is very positive, um, as a higher middle, a high upper middle income country. We aspire to be a high income country. Mm. And this was already highlighted in our RMK 12 and the midterm review. So we do have now in place the minimum wage law, which is great. And this is very much in line with the reforms that the CPTPP was aiming for. And this came about a few years before we ratified the CPTPP. This is wonderful. But then again, there needs to be another push where workers themselves can negotiate for wage increments um, depending on which industries they are based in. So I do see that with these two um, different provisions um, in place, wages can increase, nominal wages at least can increase in a more organic way um, instead of just, you know, waiting for the minimum wage law mm-hmm. to be um, adjusted every two years mm. um, and to about 200 and mm. 300 uh, ringgit nominally. Mm. Um, so I see this as something that is very good for Malaysia I and mean, workers. Gov- yeah, the government is saying a lot of things about improving standard of living. Uh, maybe these are the tools to do so. And uh, hopefully we see stronger trade trade unions and worker rights in terms of their ability to negotiate salaries in the longer term Uh, or or the not so longer term. I take that back soonish. Now, with the emphasis on sustainable practices, and this is becoming a very big thing, right? ESG may not have been the buzzword it was five to eight years ago. Now it's everywhere, right? Sustainability practices, uh, environmental friendliness, all these sort of things. So how might local businesses, including small-scale producers, um, tap into eco-friendly initiatives to enhance their, their market presence, right? What What's in the CPTPP to push this and what are the options? And again, in the CPTPP environment chapter, um, the commitments are quite vague. Mm. It means that um, it, basically highlights that um, countries should promote sustainable development through mutually supportive trade and also environmental uh, policies um, because uh, CPTPP countries are also major exporters and consumers of Mm -hmm. natural resources. And this is why 
um, CPTPP is wonderful because it does look at different discipline chapters that would impact trade and investment activities in the long term. So um, here uh, within the environment chapter, the countries um, committed to work together to address um, different uh, trade-related environmental issues. And this would include uh, protecting the marine environment from ship pollution, um, combating illegal wildlife trade that is very specific there, and also combating overfishing mm. and illegal fishing. Mm. So for um, overfishing and illegal fishing, when the U.S. was still in the picture, um, there should be a baseline study on um, the current um, fishing industries within selected countries uh, under the CPT uh, under the TPP at that time. So there was a very high standard of conforming to the standards, but without the CPTPP there, um, then uh, the the, the com- whether a country conforms or not, then it falls to the other. Uh, member countries uh, monitoring and assessments as well. Mm. Uh, one of the things, obviously, is is to make um, exchange of skills and expertise, you know, a, a big thing across borders. Uh, and how does the CPTPP encourage this exchange uh, for uh, different enterprises of different sizes? And how might this benefit local businesses in, in terms of, of growth and, and global expansion? That is a very good question because in one of the chapters on cooperation and capacity building, mm. this is mostly on G2G. Right. Um, so again, um, the activities, the capacity building activities would include areas like agriculture, industrial and also services sector, and promotion of education, culture, as well right. as gender equality and also disaster risk management. But um, it doesn't specifically highlight what B2B should do. But I think I do feel that um, when a new investor goes into a country, obviously they will do a very in-depth market study. And with this, they would the, the study would highlight the non-tariff measures or mm. behind the border challenges. And this will... Um, these challenges can be um, remedied through capacity building between different gov- uh, governments. And this is where I think uh, the businesses can also take part in those workshops, in those trainings, um, so that trade facilitation can happen even at the industrial level. Now, there's a lot going on with this comprehensive uh, agreement. Are there any trade facilitation measures that have been put in place within the agreement that can help local businesses of all sizes streamline all these Mm. different potential procedures and costs that may come about? The CPTPP has a chapter on non-tariff measures. And as we all know, um, eradicating or eliminating um, the non-tariff measures are not as easy as, you know, decreasing tariff rates over a period of time. So what the CPTPP countries aim to do is to have some sort of a one-stop center where all of the information for for trading on a certain product, on a certain service is centralized. 
um, on non-trade measures if a country like Malaysia wishes to um, introduce a new policy or a new restriction for a new product, then um, in theory, it should be able to um, announce such a provision um, a month before um, the actual date um, of um, implementation, for example. And in the text, it did mention that countries can ask for a justification Mm -hmm. to why... um, such measures are introduced. So there, there is another layer of um, accountability there, I feel. And this is something that, again, um, other free trade agreements do not necessarily have. Under ASEAN, we've been pushing for you know, the ASEAN single window and the Malaysia single window, the national single window. I would see the same thing happening for CPTPP where there will be a single window where all of the information on non-tariff measures or behind the border um, um, barriers um, would be centralized so that it's easy to refer to, to follow, um, and to also question mm. <laughs> um, if if an NTM is... Um, becomes a a non-tariff barrier to trade. Now, in a similar vein, of course, there's almost a dozen countries involved in this, and not everybody gets along all the time, right? (laughs) And, and of course, disputes come around, uh, trade disputes. What kind of mechanisms are are in place to help resolve these these possible trade disputes between member countries? So in the past, if you see diluted forms of free trade agreements, um, they wouldn't have that one chapter on investor state dispute settlement, the ISDS chapter. So one of the contentious points um, for Malaysia was the ISDS. Um, I think the government or the, the public was very concerned that companies can sue the government. Mm. Um, And this is something that is, Uh, very worrying, according to the public. Um, But here, the CPTPP has suspended about 22 different clauses because the U.S. is no longer in the picture. So one of those clauses would be on the ISDS. Mm. So member countries can escalate issues to arbitration if... It does not if it is not related to any investment policies. So that's a huge carve out. Mm. So, for example, if a country A suddenly changes a policy in its investment um, action plan, mm. and with the carve outs, it means that other member countries cannot escalate this case to arbitration. So that's a huge carve out. But if it's on discipline chapter like labor, like environment, then there's no carve out for that. But anything that's related to investment policies will have that carve out. So it cannot be escalated to arbitration. So an example would be government introduces this fancy investment policy to encourage people to invest in a particular industry a year later, they say, you know what, we've changed our mind. 
those people who've invested can't take can't elevate action, escalate action based on that. Um, not not that specific, uh, not that specific example. example. Um, but it does mention that anything that has to do with investment policies, changes to investment mm. policies, cannot be escalated. So it's a bit of a to, wide protection there. Yes, yes. It. I would call it um, it being very diluted from mm-hmm. the original TPP, mm. which is much more strict. Yeah, because that would assume that you then have to be very committed to things yes. that you put out and you don't have backtrack and all these different things. Um Ajwita, that sounds like a conversation we'll need to have another day. Um, Rich, learned a lot today? I have, of course. Obviously. This Dr. is what Juita, the show is you. for. Um, for having me. Dr. Juita, it's been a pleasure having you on with us. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, folks, we've been speaking with Dr. Juita Mohammad. She's the Director of Research and Director of Economics and, Bu- and, the, and Business Unit at Ideas Malaysia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. In fact, you may want to do it just because you may need to take a second listen to really get all the nuggets from this show. And to hear Roshan say CPTPP uh, straight off the bat. CPTPP. There you go. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Goal replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin. In conjunction with Malaysia Day, we discuss the business of sports loved by many Malaysians. Uh, that's football. Stuart Ramalingam is the CEO of the Malaysian Football League as well as the Road to Goal Program Coordinator. He'll be, he spoke to the Morning Run about the financial health of the MFL and its clubs since the privatisation, income from progress, broadcasting rights and how realistic our target of an Olympic gold is. All that and more happening after the 1pm News Bulletin. I'm Roshan Kanison, joined in the studio by Richard Bradbury. Saying goodbye and uh, keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.